I am Jeff Ado. This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. How? Um, my guest today is my friend Sergio Nazaro. He is a real estate mogul, right? I think you're a mogul. He's a he's a veteran. Uh, he's a good man, and he's somebody who's profoundly interested in personal development and living his best life. And so I'm super happy to have you on the program. Thanks for coming on, Sergio. Dude, Jeff, thanks for having me on. I wanted to howl, but my son's napping downstairs, and I don't want my wife to beat me up after the fact. So I'm kind of jealous. But just know that I was howling inside. Yeah, that's good. So anybody, you know, anybody out there who was going to give him some howl shading, you know, some howl shade, some howl hatery because he didn't howl. That's why. Okay. He doesn't want to wake up the child. <laughs> that's a good reason. It's really the only good reason. I don't tell my other guests that don't howl uh, that they should howl, but um, that's really the only good reason. Oh, the only one. <laughs> the only one. Yeah, exactly. Just kidding. Other guests who didn't howl. I love you. All right. You're amazing. <laughs> Um, great. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. Um, I just wanted to start off with kind of a little bit of like, you know, let's get to get, know uh, Sergio Nazaro, or as I like to call him, Sergio Nazaro. Hey, very are you Italian? I'm very Italian. You, yeah. you're very Italian. Okay, yeah, I got well, the hairy chest Italian, to nice. prove it, man. I got the let's look at this. dude. I'm a I'm a walking stereotype. I got a gold chain. That's where I know how to. That's wow. A, that's where I stop shaving. Does it have know? like a bowl or something on it? What's Bro. what's on the what's on yeah, the it's an Italian horn. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's good. I like it. I like yeah. it. You're living into it. That's right. Good. Um, and then where are you from? Where do you live? And tell us yeah, a little dude. bit about what you do and kind of your a little bit of your a little bit of your history, a little bit of your path. Yeah, dude. So I uh, I'm from Denver, Colorado. Um, I've been out here since 1996. Uh, went to the Air Force Academy here in Colorado Springs, graduated from there, served my country for six and a half years in the Air Force as an officer, got out, decided that I wanted to be a CrossFit coach. That doesn't pay a whole lot of money. So I went to grad school so that I could actually have a stipend to pay for my uh, my rent, um, landed in real estate, did that for the last six years. And, uh, I've been, I started my own coaching company back in February and I've been helping men and women wake up and live into their fullest potential in their marriage and in their business. Fantastic. That's awesome. That's really great. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your history as a veteran. Um, uh, did you serve? I, I feel like I gathered that you served in Afghanistan. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in Afghanistan for seven and a half months. Um, dude, that was a wild experience. Like reflecting back on that, you know, I was there from, you know, August of 2012 till February of 2013. And mm -hmm. man, it was right in the middle of us transitioning over to the Afghan government. So there was a lot of blue on green, basically mean Afghans killing Americans. And my job was uh -huh. to travel around with an interpreter and work with the Afghans. So it was, uh, it got hot and heavy for a bit. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Thank you for your service. I really appreciate it. Um, nice. Yeah. And obviously we're, <laughs> We're in the thick of it right now in the world, but we could kind of get into that, that a little bit later. Cause I'd love to hear your take on it as a veteran. Um, so one of the things that I think is interesting about you is you, you divide life into four quadrants 
and um and and sort of look at each of those areas in, in terms of like how what, how am I performing and that kind of thing. Could you just break that down for us a little bit? Your your attack on that. Yeah. So there's four domains that we work in: body, being your health and your fitness; being, meaning your connection with yourself and your creator. For me, it's God. Uh, balance, even though I don't believe in work-life balance, balance is the part of us that's our relationship. So mine's with my wife and with my kids, uh, and then business, right? The thing that we are creating to help provide the lifestyle that we want and, the, and support the relationships that we have. And so I've been able to break this down into these four areas and, and really start to see how they all impact one another, how you being in shape is going to directly impact your ability to sell. You having a great marriage is going to have a direct impact on your connection with God. Your connection with God is going to impact your ability to produce at a high level. And so all of these different things for me have come together, whether it's God or the universe, it really doesn't matter. It's really whatever your spiritual thing is. But the 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 connection of all four of those allows you to look at life and see how they all relate together so that as we're, we're moving through it, we understand that if I do this here, it's going to have an impact in all other areas that I live in. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I definitely see a lot of... Uh, a lot of resonance in my own life with that, that perspective. And I know kind of, uh, just getting to know you a little bit through your posts and that kind of thing that, that you've really like, you've had some challenges, like you've gone through it. I mean, wow. sounds like there were some, there were some a little bit of dark times that you were able to navigate through. Um, I'd love to hear about that. I'd love for us to just kind of dig in a little bit into your sort of journey into darkness and back here and at the light. Yeah, man. It all started with, you know, returning from my deployment from Afghanistan. I think some of the stuff that I experienced there watching people, you know, get killed right in front of me multiple times, right? Multiple experiences with that was tough. Um, you know, living at that high level of just like hypervigilance for seven and a half months, it changes you. So I come back and I'm trying to reintegrate into my life and, you know, my life didn't change for seven and a half months. I changed and I come back and everybody's different but it's because I'm different and their lives have changed too. And so that reintegration process is hard. Can't really relate to anybody at that point. And I start to struggle with PTSD. And so I turn to drugs and alcohol and I'm messing around with that for a long time, kind of get sucked into that. And, you know, I, so I, it's these moments where like I'm dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, sedating with drugs and alcohol and women. And now I get to this point where this girl breaks up with me and I'm forced to face my own inner demons. It was one of the greatest mm. things that's ever happened to me, right? I mean, breakups are tough, but sometimes they rattle the cage a little bit and force you to wake up and ask yourself, well, am I the man that I want to be? And it was in that moment that I started to realize I needed to seek professional help. So I got a therapist, mm. I got a coach, and I was in therapy for two and a half years. And along that ride, that identity changed from getting out of the military after being in for 11 and a half years. I didn't think it was going to have that big of an impact on me, but it did. Mm. Everything I had known since I was 18 was flipped on its head. And now I'm starting to, I have an identity crisis. I'm struggling with, I just mentioned to you, and now I'm not making any money. And I'm just in this position being like, what in the hell is going on? Like, how do I recover from this? And yeah. so for two and a half years, right, I was in therapy twice a week, every single day. And um, mm -hmm. it was, it's hard, man, because like you're forced to, to realize that in those moments where you're like, it's easier for me not to be here. Like, mm -hmm. I'm glad I never, I'm honestly too much of a, a pussy to do it, man. Like I wouldn't, I, I don't think I could do it, <laughs> but I'm glad that I didn't. And so coming back on the other side of to that. Do, you mean 
commit suicide. Is that what you mean? Take my life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to come back on the other side of that, just kind of like a, almost like a rebirth. It was just the beginning. I just got into maybe, maybe like a equilibrium. And then it was really mm-hmm. the work started to begin because as I started to get into a relationship, one that I wanted to be in uh, with a girlfriend, all the insecurities resurface. And on the outside, yeah. I looked like I was stoic, calm, had my stuff together. But in the mm-hmm. inside, I was scared. I was hurting. I was insecure. There was a lot of doubt. There was fear. And now you bring that into a new career that's commission-based only and a relationship that's had its struggles. Like It's the perfect recipe for what I would like to call a relapse of the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you turned around, you know, I, I, um, I've done a considerable amount of work with, with veterans. I did a film called sandstorm that is about a guy with PTSD, a short film that I did that went to a bunch of festivals. Um, and so I'm very sensitive to that. I really appreciate, um, the plight of the warrior and also, you know, how unbelievably tragic it is that more of our, more of our men and women in uniform, you know, die from suicide than they do from, from battle by it's a lot. The, yeah. It's because the VA is a joke. The VA is a joke. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is not a shout at the doctors at the VA. This is not a shot for the people that are volunteering and working at the VA, but the system as a whole is broke. And the fact that the government thinks that they're actually providing services to us is complete BS. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. And I know there's also like, I've kind of, I've also dealt with a lot of first responders and that whole, there's kind of a similar, similar mentality in terms of at least the, the, the people who are doing the work, you know, they don't want to, and this may or may not apply, but a lot of those folks, there's a stigma, like they don't even want to ask for help. And so, um, and so then they don't. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, every, after seeing all these emergencies day after day and all the horror things that people in ambulance that are involved in paramedic, that life also see, you know, of course it, it it's gonna, it's gonna pay its pay its cost. But what's interesting to me, like, I'm just curious since we're talking about it, like for you, what would be, what would be a positive transformation in terms of the VA? Would it be that they would be more, you know, uh, aggressive in terms of like, getting people to do therapy and really asking questions to, to, to make them confront their own demons or like what would make the change? I mean, you have to think about the juxtaposition of this whole thing. You come in trying Mm -hmm. to turn men and women into warriors. And then on the way out, you're trying to strip the warrior out of them and soften them back up to send them into, to the real world. And the Mm -hmm. front end of it, if you think about it, right, it's what, maybe eight weeks of basic training followed by the additional training that you're going to do. And if you ever deploy, you're going to get some additional training. Let's just say two years total, two years of total training. And then on the way out, you're going to give me some 10 day course on how to reintegrate. Get out of here. (laughs) Like you can't strip that out of somebody. And I'm not saying it needs to be the same process, but there it's broken because what you've taught us is to, Hey, shut it down, focus on the mission, get it done. Mm-hmm. And so when we get out, it's like, well, what do we do? You just taught us to be self-sustaining, and but we never taught us how to like process this type of stuff. Now, some people are better, better than others, right? Like I think about like Jocko Wilnick, like he seems like he's been able to process some things and I don't know his story about like how he's able to manage it. 
But from a guy that was in the Air Force that never had to raise my weapon and kill somebody, I still had a lot of stuff that impacted me. I can only imagine mm-hmm. what happens when you're in combat and you see one of your friends' lives get taken. The the ratio just isn't there. So how do you fix it? I have no idea. I have no mm-hmm. clue. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. It's I, I, I'm always, um, particularly now, I think I, I have so many friends who've been uh, affected by what's going on in, in Israel. Like I have Israeli friends. I have a friend in Israel, um, you know, who is also a veteran and is in a wheelchair as a result of combat that he had with Hezbollah in like 2006. Um, but you know, and, and, and all these other friends who are, who are not related to actual people that are in Israel, but are watching all the videos online of Hamas torturing people and that kind of thing. And then now they're seeing those things like similar to you saw people get killed in front of you. Now they have the memory. They actually saw the visceral thing and now they're all spun up about it because you can't unsee that. And how do you get rid of those visuals? I mean, it's one of the reasons I don't, I don't, <laughs> I've seen enough of that stuff in my life that I won't go out and seek it out. I'm not going to look for it. Um, so on that note, I'm just curious, like, obviously you mentioned, you know, you had to see some of that and I'm not going to ask you to get into specifics cause I wouldn't do that, but I'm just wondering for you, like, was there some key thing that really helped you, allowed you to get over it, to, to give yourself acceptance and forgiveness to make you feel safe again? Was there a process? I think a lot of it was meditation journaling, mm. yoga, working out, talking about it. I think I finally gave myself permission to just be like, you know what? Uh, this ain't going to work for me, man. Uh, I didn't really know how to process it at the time. I mean, so, I mean, what happened to me and this, the best way I can explain it is that in going to Afghanistan, I chose to end things with a girl and with, you know, just with building, closing down connections, I don't want, I want to have to deal with anybody on the way out. And doing that, I mm-hmm. started to shut down parts of me, all the emotions, like the spectrum of emotions that humans are supposed to feel. Yeah. And when returning and what I think happened was when this girl broke up or when we broke up, cause it was mutual. I'm not trying to paint her as a bad person in this, but when we broke up, People there was this, yeah, yeah, there was this flood of emotions that had not hit me in a long time sadness, Mm. anxiety, depression. I realized that my happiness was only when I was fucked up on drugs or alcohol. And I came to this realization of being like, listen, man, like that's, it's not, that's not normal. Like, of course, these Mm -hmm. substances are supposed to make you feel a certain type of way. But if my constant state is this over here, well, then I need to figure this out. And honestly, I went to therapy to get over a girl. And what came up was everything else that I was struggling with. So Hmm. the one thing that I know is that I couldn't do it by myself Okay, and, and trying to be like the stoic tough guy, right? That's Mm -hmm. why I have all these tattoos. I'm softer than a baby dude inside, (laughs) but, uh, you know, trying to be that guy, like I wasn't that guy. And so I had to have like an honest conversation with myself and just being like, listen, man, it's okay to be hurting. It's okay to not know. But it's also okay to just like raise your hand and be like, Hey, I need help. And it was scary yeah. because, you know, as a, as a military officer, as a man, whatever, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where 
the stigma was heavy. Now it's gotten better since then, but it's yeah. still a heavy stigma of going to therapy because it, it makes the assumption that you're broken. It's like when people are right. like, Hey, I, I don't want to drink anymore. They're like, Oh, did you get a DUI? Do you have a problem? It's like, yeah, no, dude, I just want to be healthy. Oh, so I feel like yeah. it falls in line with that. I know that's a long winded answer of just saying like, I needed professional help, but no, that's great. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the main takeaway there for me is like, you asked for help, you needed help and you asked for help and people, that's not a normal thing that, that, that people do, you know, we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to give people our problems. You know, we're accustomed to this culture where you ask somebody how they're doing, they're going to automatic, the automatic thing answer is great. How are you doing? You know, yeah. when, come on, man, there's so much other shit going on <laughs> behind yeah. the scenes, behind the curtain, you know, underneath that you're not telling me. I always make it a point if I'm having a bad day to tell somebody, how are you today? I'm shitty. I'm shitty today. And yeah. then they ask why. And then I'll tell them or I'll, I won't tell them depending on how I'm feeling. But like, you know, we, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, you know, it's for me, it's part of everybody just wants to look good all the time, no matter what period end of story, you know, and that that's actually more important than connection and love and vulnerability. Uh, but it's so shallow and weak, you know, if we're just trying to look good all the time and just pretending that we're not the way that we actually are, how, how is that living? You know? So I really want to acknowledge you for, for asking for help. And obviously, you know, you're, you're making it a mission to, to live an authentic life, one in which you really are fully living this life. And so I appreciate that as well. I appreciate that. Especially given your journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I think within therapy, it forced me to start to be like, ruthlessly honest with myself mm-hmm. i'm not okay i'm struggling with this i don't know how to receive love i don't know how to take help and then identifying that i was like well if i don't know how to receive help and take allow people to g- give me the things i need then i need to learn how to do those things and mm-hmm. now my life what i'm trying to emulate and what i'm trying to create when i speak on social media when i'm on this podcast is just being honest and you may not like it. You may not even agree with it, but I'm going to be the most honest man in the room. And I'm not here to hurt anybody. But if what I say offends you, we can have a conversation about it. But I think it's that honesty that allowed me to heal. Because without it, to your point, oh, I'm good. Everything's good. And then I get home mm-hmm. and I'm chugging like, you know, tequila or sitting on the couch popping pills. And it's like, no, I'm not good. Right. Yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. I really want to... um you know, I commend you for that. And it's also just kind of a, you know, it's really, I think what we're touching upon is, is it's really a cultural pandemic, you know, this, this idea that we need to not tell the truth, that we need to not be honest, not be vulnerable with each other. It's something that I'm firmly committed. I'm firmly committed to fucking stopping that shit. All right. You know, just in case anyone didn't know, um, you know, I'm firmly committed to just people being real and being their most authentic, most alive, most honest self, because as you say, it's just such, it's so incredibly toxic to, to pretend that we're not the way that we are and to not ask for help. So that's really great. Um, so one of the things that I've heard you talk about in your, in your media, in your social media posts and et cetera, is, is this idea of scarcity, which is something that I'm keenly interested in and intrigued about. You know, I feel like along with everybody trying to look good all the time, we're also secretly scared and, and we, that we don't have enough. We're constantly in this mentality and convinced that this is all we're going to get and there's no way out of it. 
Um, how does that affect you? How do you come at scarcity in terms of performance? You have to start with giving yourself some appreciation with how far you've come. Like we never give ourselves credit for anything. And so what I've tried to implement is a regular practice of, well, let me see how far I've come in the last few weeks or the last few months, because without appreciation and honoring all of the gains that we've had in our life, then our aspirational views of what we want to go, where we want to go, it operates like a horizon. And as we're trying to move towards the horizon, the horizon keeps moving. We can never get to where Mm -hmm. we actually want to go. And that creates this gap in our mind that builds this constant level of scarcity. But if you can Mm -hmm. appreciate how far you've come and then you can use that horizon as aspiration, well, then you can recognize that you're just on a path to achieving whatever is next for you. And you have actually Mm -hmm. everything you need. Like the mission that I'm after is to help people have it all in their life. And the reality is most people already have it all. If they really broke it down, like I'm healthy. I have a connection with my creator. I have a wife and a son. And I have a business that's doing well. So if I looked at Mm -hmm. that today, I have everything I need. But I aspire to be more. So that creates a gap. And that gap can be powerful. But that gap can also create scarcity. And so one of the things you have to recognize is like, well, where is your mind at? More importantly, what are the actions that you're taking? Right now, in a lot of of sales jobs and commission jobs, people are restricting. Spending less, investing less. They're, they're preparing for a, a winter, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's the first sign that like your business is going to, it's not going to do well. There's smart business mm-hmm. decisions. And then there's just decisions made out of fear. And those scarcities decisions that happen in your business and bleed into your marriage. And now scarcity in your marriage looks a lot like, you know, we, we just can't, we can't go out to dinner tonight. It's like, well, you can, you have the money. You're just, saying that you don't because you're afraid. So what is the message mm-hmm. you're sending to yourself? And so I think scarcity is a scary thing, man, because it can creep in and it'll infiltrate yeah. your life like a, like a SEAL team. And before you know it, it's just your new operating system. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's really, that's really great. It's something that, that I talk about a lot on this podcast is, you know, that what we've inherited is really a fear-based operating system, you know, that we come from just automatically being afraid and how do we avoid threats constantly? Whereas, uh, if we were to come from a love-based operating system, not in like an airy fairy, you know, uh, just, I'm just going to love everyone all the time, no matter what, not like that, like (laughs) love as a, as a resource, as a value, as something that when I'm actually feeling like the love that I have for my wife or the love that I have for children or the love that I have for performing music, you know, then, then I, wow, that really opens something up in me. If I'm looking at how do I actively love more in my life, love the people around me, love my family, regardless of what they did, you know, regardless of what's happened, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, I have certain relationships in my life where I had to overcome a lot of things that I could have just stuck in the land of judgment and grudgeville and just then I wouldn't have a relationship. Even my father same, you know, I, my father passed away in March and he and I had an awesome relationship because I chose to cultivate an awesome relationship with him because I came from taking responsibility for the stories that I had about him because I came from forgiveness and acceptance and love. And we talked about that openly and, and manifested that, um, 
but yeah, scarcity is something scarcity and also coming from a fear-based operating system, particularly when you're not admitting that that's where you're coming from, where you're not saying, okay, you know what? I'm totally embroiled in fear right now and I'm not going to ask for help. I'm just going to get cancer. Because really, that's what happens, whether it's an actual illness of actual cancer or it's a cancer of the spirit where you just aren't living your best life or not even living your, you know, your kind of better life. You know, you're just really stuck in the vault of scarcity and denial and sadness and depression and victimhood and powerlessness, you know? Yeah. Um, And it really all starts with admitting I'm coming from scarcity right now. I have an idea that there's not enough and, and also recognizing that spiral, you know, that there's like, if, if, if I am in a place of scarcity, that's all there's going to be for me is just more and more scarcity and I'll never see my way out of it. But as you pointed out so eloquently, you know, uh, if you, if you actually look at what you've accomplished, (laughs) uh, that gives you a lot Uh, that gives you someplace to stand. You can see, Oh wait, no, no, no. I have been doing all of these things. Look at all these things that I've accomplished. Oh wow. I am building something. I am doing something. I know for me, um, I just did a concert on a Sunday and it was a really big deal for me to do this concert. I I performed 25 of my own songs. I had a friend come up and play with me. Yeah. And it was like, really great. I, you know, I, I just, I've been going through the footage now looking at my performance and I'm like, Oh, Oh, now my voice is way better than it ever has been because I've been working on it for the last five years. You know, now my songs are better than they ever have been because I've been working on them. I've been practicing them and I've been connecting to them. Oh, now I see. And it's hard for me, even, (laughs) even me, like somebody who, who espouses love operating system and talks about being grateful and stuff like that. Even me, I'm just like, wait, you can't really you know, abandoning the idea that, uh, you know, that I'm not good enough, that we are not good, good enough is so, it's so challenging. Like you really need some very stern evidence to the contrary to see. And, uh, I mean, I think I can say at this point, I see like that the concert that I put on is really good, you know? And the fact that I can watch it and be like, Oh no, I did good there. That means that I've accomplished a lot yeah. that and just gratitude, you know, as you say, like being grateful, that's the gateway to so much. A hundred percent. I think the people's ability, like this is very counterintuitive, like willingly choose to go seek scarcity in your life. Like, where is it? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we don't want to go look for it. So we just sweep it under the rug. And in doing that, yeah. it's no different than getting into an argument with your spouse and knowing that you need to have a conversation with it, but you just ignore it and let resentment build up. Like the more mm-hmm. you ignore the scarcity, the more it starts to take hold. It's kind of like mm-hmm. bringing a light on a cockroach. They scatter once you bring it. You have to bring light to these things and just vocalize it yeah. and talk about it no differently than you just did. And it's in that mm-hmm. moment that you can start to make adjustments as you need to. But we're all going to have it. You could be the most grateful person in the world. And there's some spot in your life where you're going to have scarcity. It could be that the fat mm-hmm. that you look down at your body and you hate the way that you look. Or your bank account, or your marriage, mm-hmm. or your relationship with your kids, or your relationship with your creator. There's scarcity everywhere. You just got to go find yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you ignore your shadow doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, the more you ignore it, the bigger it gets. That's. Yeah. The I tend to look just like look up and not see the shadow, so I can just like pretend it's not there at all. <laughs> 
Um, like if you just but you run into things a lot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's why I have all these scars on my face. Yeah, that's that's how you got hit by the car. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't do what I tell you to do. If you're listening to this while driving, do not look up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. That's. I mean. I think. You know, you're touching on something that's kind of a frequent. Uh, topic of conversation on this podcast as well. I, I have a good friend of mine, Sterling Hawkins, who wrote a book called Hunting Discomfort. Also lives in Denver, by the way. You guys should be friends. Nice. Um, but um, but yeah, we talk about that a lot. I talk about it um, uh, with a spiritual teacher friend of mine as well. You know, this idea that if you hunt discomfort, that if you look for your scarcity, if you're actually looking, well, what's in my backfield? What what are the actual things that I'm so afraid of that seem so scary, uh, or, or lacking in my life, you know, that's, that's where the juice is, you know, yeah. we don't want to look at those things because first of all, it's going to make us look bad, which that violates cardinal rule number one, right? Uh, looking good and being right are kind of the, the main, according to landmark and also me and also Buddhism and a lot of other traditions looking good and being right are, are two of the like worst, you know, that those are, those are what we're most concerned about. So, you know, if we, if we actually expose our shadow and say, this is what's really going on, then we're afraid that we're going to look bad, but how do you, you can't heal the thing that is injured unless you're willing to look at it and put a bandaid on it, you know, yeah, and really like give it the love and the light that it needs. It's just going to fester and get worse. And I think that's, you know, look, my attitude is <laughs> I'm going to feel uncomfortable anyway. I'm going to be miserable no matter what I'm going to experience suffering and it's going to be worse if I don't look for the thing that is there, it's going to come up and it's going to blow up in my face and then it's going to be really bad, you know, to the extent like kind of what kind of what you were talking about earlier, where you get to a place where you're like, Oh, I'm just trying to pretend like all this PTSD that I've got isn't really haunting me. So I'm going to numb myself with all these drugs and pretend like I'm happy for the five minutes that it hits me. And then I'm going to come back and be even more miserable and want to take my life, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's how we operate. And I think, transforming this idea and making it cool (laughs) to hunt your discomfort, to look for your shadow, to expose your dark side. Like that's, that's going to really transform society. I know it transforms my life and I can tell it transforms yours as well. Yeah. I think a big thing that allowed me to do that was uh, psychedelics and weed hundred percent. Like it brings Mm -hmm. everything to the forefront. I mean, you don't have a choice. Those things are there. In my experience, every time I've gotten stoned or every time I've eaten mushrooms, they've come to the forefront of the things that I need to face the most. They've always been there. They've just now are held up to me and I'm forced to reconcile that and process that in the moment. Now, luckily I have friends who are also doing their own internal work and we can have conversations about the things that come up when we're in the middle of Zion, hiking out of a canyon, having conversations (laughs) about whatever it is that we're doing. And it's a beautiful place to be to have that, you know, uh, support and also be able to be in that mindset to kind of reframe things. So you're right. It's not, it's not exciting work. It's transformational work and there's ways to accelerate it too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and looking forward is the key, you know, being willing, the willingness to look, I mean, it's like going to the gym, right? You go to the gym, you work out, you're going to be sore. You know, you're going to be sore. It's hard. Those last reps that you do. I mean, I just, I went to the gym this morning, the last reps I'm grunting, you know, it's not comfortable 
and it's not fun. I mean, there's something I get out of it because I, I feel like I'm pushing myself and I'm exerting and I'm expressing something, some angst that's always there, but, but it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing fun about it, but then later the results are great that I am stronger, that I feel good about myself. And even just emotionally and spiritually, I feel better because I know that I pushed myself. Yeah. And so I think that that's, and, and a lot of people are able to do that with weights, but they won't do that with emotions. (laughs) Yeah. They won't look at. Absolutely. I mean, my, one of my coaches told me, he's like, you are sedating with working out. He told, he told me your ability to go work out and push your body through something you feel like you are improving and physically you are, but you're not listening Mm -hmm. to your body and the message is telling you I had a heart attack at 34. And if I had paid, if I paid it, yeah, if I had paid attention, I probably would have been able to see the signs and listen to my body and pull back on what I was doing, but I was able to disconnect my mind from my body. And so for the last few years, I've been trying to get my mind, my heart, my soul, and my essence on the same fucking team. And we're finally mm-hmm. to a spot where yeah. it's working together. And in that, being able to recognize that, now I'm able to process things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just curious, was the, because you, I mean, you seem like a super healthy dude. Was it, was it, uh, was the heart attack related to eating or drugs no. or? No, I think it was stress. So at the time, stress. my wife and I, we were, I was, we were engaged. We had just called off our wedding because we were fighting so much. Okay. And that was when we made the decision to get into couples therapy. So I was in individual therapy for two and a half years, got out, got into this relationship, got back into couples therapy. And I think just the stress of that and then the stress of being in a sales job, which was new to me, I mean, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. It's very heavy because yeah. you have all these pressures to produce and then not look like mm-hmm. a failure in your relationship. And those two things, the amount of inertia that's required to build a new business is going to, it's hard, man. It's going to take a toll on a relationship. You yeah. can. Interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So that's something else you brought up that I, I definitely want to talk about with you, which is, which is marriage. Um, I'm married also just going on a year. We just nice. got, we just celebrated our one year anniversary. We've been together for about five years and we're, you know, we've, each of us has had kind of a lot of relationships until we found each other. And then we were like, Oh, Oh, this could really work. (laughs) Like are going to empower each other and like have a, we could really make a big impact with our lives and who we are and what we do. You know, she's also a, she's also a coach um, and really powerful at it. She's also really been super successful in in business. um, And she's beautiful. And I love her, Christine. Um, but you know, we fight also. And, uh, even, you know, uh, even yesterday we got on a pretty good doozy of one, but we were able to stop and listen to each other and look at why each of us said the things that we said. And it's, you know, at this point we don't, we're, we're not like in the name calling phase. We don't do that, but we'll get mad. Um, and then, and then we'll stop. We'll take a break. I've gotten a lot better at like walking away and just collecting myself versus just, you know, lashing out or whatever. And then pausing until I can get 
back together what I what I'm trying to communicate. She gets a little less aggressive in terms of her defensiveness. Like we're I think it's normal to 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 fight. That's gonna happen with your your the person who's closest to you. Um but it's still a you know it's an ongoing evolution in terms of our relationship. And I think most people I know a lot of what you share about is uh is about marriage and about how you have a successful relationship with your wife. And so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about that journey and tips that you might offer us. Listen, and we're not perfect. We get into fights all the time. And I think what's beautiful about it is coming back to the honesty piece of it is we realize that we're not fighting each other. We're fighting for the relationship that we want. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. that requires you to have the hard conversations with one another. It's hard to step into the arena with your significant other knowing that what you're about to say is going to cause some disruption. But if it's not said, the pain that will transpire three, five, seven, ten 10 years down the road will be way worse than what's about to happen. You have to be willing yeah. to go to bat for something. And so the conversation that we had on Sunday was, dude, we're, we are in this circle jerk of a relationship right now. Connection, disconnection, fighting, making up, love, anger, peace, chaos and it's just going in circles and we're sitting here being like okay if this continues to play out i mean this just happened if this continues to play out where are we going to be in five years and we're both like probably mm-hmm. divorced it's a hard conversation to have with somebody you love and so mm-hmm. we're sitting here and and it really comes down to just a few questions like well where are you at babe like based on what we just talked about where are you at okay well what do you want well, why do you want that? And so getting anchored in where we're at, getting clear on where we want to go. And then as long as we both are clear on here, well, then this just becomes the starting point. But this requires truth, honesty, connection, vulnerability. And this is the part that everybody struggles with. Everybody starts about, well, what do we want? Cool. We, we want this marriage where we have six, sex three times a week and we go on these vacations. Cool. Mm-hmm. You're not even going on date nights. So why don't we start there? And so my advice is like, listen, you got to start to get honest with where you're at, even if it's hard, because without the honesty, there is no growth because then everything that you try to create in the future is just fantasy. And that's where most people want to live because it feels good. Nobody wants to live in the pain, but the pain is where all the transformation happens. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I know also for, for, something that's really helpful for, for us, for my relationship and is gratitude and appreciation, you know, just goes so, so far, (laughs) uh, you know, being willing to be grateful for the things, um, that, that are there that are so clear, you know, that's something that makes a huge difference for us. And I, I know also like having a shared spiritual, you know, uh, connection, you know, like we, we meditate together. We, we do psychedelics together. Sometimes we do ayahuasca, you know, um, and that, that builds something that's kind of beyond us and, and highlights what are we really out to accomplish beyond the basic, beyond the ordinary, you know, and, and also connects us much more deeply to, to source, you know, to creator, to God, to, um, whatever you want to call him, you know, or her, as I like to think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, how important that is in a relationship. 
Uh, so then also I'm curious about your psychedelic experience. You know, you mentioned mushrooms and, and like that. Is that something that you've used therapeutically or how, like how often, what's your kind of experience with plant medicine? Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've microdosed quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I've never done anything like a specific like journey that's on my list of things to do. Uh, you know, a guided journey. I've explored a lot with plant medicine just out in nature, man. To me, it's a really great way for me to connect with myself, ground myself and connect with whatever's around me. But there's never been like an intention. There's never been a, a thought behind it outside of that. For me, what I found mm-hmm. is that psychedelic experience, it's going to show me whatever it is that I need. And the fact that I can bring my spirit, my creator, God into the whole thing. And now I'm in whatever environment I'm in. Like I just let things kind of play out and I don't try to force it. I don't try to fight it. I just had to try to be with it. And it's, it's shown me, it's shown me what's important. Like I, uh, I got back from Zion. After hiking out, you know, we were doing a 18 mile trip with my, my buddies and I'm eating mushrooms on the way out. And I just have this moment where I'm like, dude, we're in the golden age of our life right now. All of us have our health. We all have money. Nobody's passed away. The majority of our parents are together. Our kids are healthy. And I'm just sitting there being like, what? Like, this is it. Like, it's only going to get worse. And then in my mind, that's where it went. <laughs> but then I flipped the script and I was like, But I was like, I flipped the script and I was like, you can look at those events as it's going to get worse, or you can look at those events as it's part of life and the bond that you have with those people is going to be indicative of the actions that you take outside of what just those thoughts that just came. So I came home and out of that, right? Because it's easy to go down this path of like, oh, my parents are old. They're going to pass away. And like, what happens if my wife passes away? And like, what happens if my heart and I die? But the alternative was like, well, what do I want? Coming back to what do I want? So I started to date my parents, taking them out on lunch dates a couple times a month, taking my sister I'm glad you out clarified. on dates. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not making out with my mom or my dad for that matter. Good. Um, good. Yeah. Good. You know, but I think it's like being able to invest in those relationships. And so, yeah, I think it's just perspective for me. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. My, my, as I said, my dad passed away in March. And so I've been kind of dealing with a lot of that. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a little older than you are. I know, I feel like sort of my golden age, it just can kind of continues, you know, I'm all about like staying, getting, being as healthy as I possibly can. Um, and seeking out how do I get more healthy? I'm doing a huge detox right now. I found out I did a tox screen. I'm full of fucking glyphosate, all right, from Roundup. And uh, I got some pesticides in my belly and also some uh, barium and thallium from smoking. And I don't know what the I don't know what the barium is from, but yeah. I'm doing this whole detox routine where we do the infrared sauna three times a week and I'm doing coffee enemas, which I can't even recommend highly enough. All right. It sounds terrible, disgusting, but wow. Do you feel great? Wait, you stick coffee in your butthole? That's right. Straight, straight, straight up the sphincter. You know what I mean? You just put it up there and then uh, you let it go. I know what I'm uh, doing after this call. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get the funnel ready. All right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, it sounds crazy. And actually when my 
I had a friend who, who was doing it. I was like, you're nuts, dude. I'm never doing that. And my nutritionist is like, if you want to get this stuff out of your body, you have to do this. It gives your liver a huge break. It pulls parasites out of your body. Like it's, it's amazing. So I'm doing all of these things so that I can detox myself, detoxify myself and live in optimum health. That's my goal, you know, to have the longest possible, you know, life and be yeah. vibrant and healthy and effective for as long as I can tell, tell it's time to go on to the next one. Yeah, man. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I just want to, I really want to acknowledge you for, for doing that, for having that relationship, re, re, for having that realization and for, um, and for really like cultivating and fostering even better relationships with your, your folks. I just think it's so, it's so important. You know, like I, like I said, I know I had a great relationship with my father. I have a great relationship with my mother too. She's still, she's still with me. Um, and it's really, it's been really hard. Um, it's been really tough losing him. You know, I, we just got back from, he was honored. He was put into the central high school hall of fame in Omaha, Nebraska, where we're from. And that was beautiful. Um, and also really, really challenging, you know, um, go and going through his stuff. Like we went through a bunch of storage lockers and I came away with the, uh, my dad was a genius. I mean, my dad was a genius and I'm, I'm not like bragging. I mean, I guess I am bragging, <laughs> but I don't mean it like that. Like right. he, he came up with all these, he was very successful in business, came up with all these things that people had never thought about that he executed. But then also looking through all the things that he was doodling on. I mean, he invented all these light machines and like, I got to see all of that and go That's through cool. all that, which was like, really great and also then when i got home i was just like a puddle you know <laughs> i yeah. just totally broke down i was like oh right i hadn't considered that this that whole experience was really challenging yeah it's interesting that you say that so one of my missions my coach told me was to create the cleanest ties that i could possibly have with everybody yeah so that when they pass away there's always going to be regret there's always going to be i wish i would have I'm trying to get rid of those. So mm -hmm. I made a decision a long time ago that I'm going to put all of my friends on the back burner, all of them. And I'm going to spend as much time as I can with my parents. Now I'm not that's saying great. that's the right answer, but for me, if I have somebody ask me to come over to their house and my parents ask me to come over, I have no problem canceling all my friends to go hang out with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. And your friends probably understand that too. And I don't give a fuck if they don't. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Yeah. I've been doing really good. I know you, you told me not to swear too much. I feel like I've been, I think I'm only at like three. Yeah. No, I feel like I've, I've been swearing more than you have. So I'm kind of Dude. proud of you. Actually, <laughs> it was an interesting observation. Just start. The fact. Yeah. Let's let's talk about our favorite swear words. It was an interesting observation, though, that that was something that you had recognized in my content. Sometimes I get so excited about certain topics, especially around marriage, business, connection with family. I get so excited about it that I just, dude, it just comes out, and I I, I want the message to land on people that you can have, you can be in shape, you can have a connection with your spouse and your kids that is something that you can't even believe. And you can make a lot of money at the same time. Like there's no reason yeah. for you to not be able to have it all. And so I'm trying to get through to people and I don't know if F bombs are the way, 
but it just gets me so pumped up sometimes that it just comes out. That they just come out. Yeah. No, I think they're great, you know, from time to time. Sparingly. I think sparingly they're vastly more effective than, I agree. you know, but I'm working on it. And, and also, I don't think there's anything wrong with, by the way, I think your posts are awesome and they're super impactful. I just happened to watch like a bunch of them in a row that were like, fucking get, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of F-bombs over and over again. <laughs> it's my and, favorite word. I was like, like my oh, favorite I gotta word. make sure. Yeah. It's good. It's extremely versatile. You know, the word fuck can be used for so many things. <laughs> good things, bad things, great things, terrible things, scary things, active things, you know, it's fucking amazing. How much Amazing. you can fuck with. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> You're definitely winning this. If there's a scoreboard, you'd be winning. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely winning. Um, uh, so one of the things that I really liked uh, that I saw in your post was the 80-year-old you conversation. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. You had this dream. Yeah, I like saw myself. And I always thought that if I saw the future version of me, I'd be like, yo, dude, let's have a conversation. I want to know some things. Mm -hmm. And The Alchemist is one of my favorite books. And I'm going to butcher yeah. the line, but the whole premise is like, if we know it's going to work out, that eliminates like part of the fun. And there's just right. some things we're not meant to know. And so I think part of me just, if I saw him and he were to repeat the line back to me from The Alchemist, I would know that it was all okay. Mm -hmm. But the bigger thing for me too, as I started to think about that is like, I think I would be able to tell just by looking into my own eyes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. One of the things that I, I talk about pretty frequently on this, on the show, and I think it resonates with, with a lot of what you have to communicate is this, there's this idea in Zen called continuous death, you know, where you're consciously, you're constantly thinking about if, if I were to die in the next moment, how would I feel about it? <laughs> You know, if I were to die today, how would I feel about all of my relationships, what I'm up to in my life, how I'm behaving, how I'm experiencing this life. And it's like really like tough thing to think about. It's, you know, it's also, it's in a lot of traditions, uh, the Tibetan tradition, you know, the Dalai Lama, they wake up and they, they meditate on, on death, um, in the morning. First thing, a lot of different Buddhist traditions do it too. Um, uh, Sufi traditions do it. There's a lot of mystical kind of the more esoteric traditions are, are into that whole life. And it's a really uh, tough edge of a sword to come up against. But then what I find in my meditation on that is it really separates the wheat from the chaff. You know, it separates what's truly important. Are these fears that I'm having? Is this scarcity really actually important or is how my wife feels about me and how my friends feel about me and how the song affected people that are listening. What's, what's like, what are the really actually important things? And did I fully go for it? Particularly in those moments when we're, we want to do something that we're afraid of, <laughs> but we don't want to do it because we're afraid. And so then we would sit and hide. If you think, well, if I die, if I die tomorrow, how am I going to feel about that? Not so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why, listen, he was death. That's one of the biggest reasons that what I'm doing right now doesn't make a lot of sense to people. I had massive success in real estate. I mean, I was I'm top 1% in Colorado, right? Top 1% in the nation, too. This happened over mm -hmm. six years. Like last year, I had my first seven figure year ever. 
and it was amazing. I worked eight months out of the year and now yeah. I'm choosing to sh not shut it down, but give it to somebody else to run. And now I'm, I'm starting this coaching company. I started the coaching company back in, in March. I've been running that. At the end of this year, I'll be walking away from real estate to let somebody else run it and stepping into this. And it doesn't compute with people. And yeah. the frame that I have is I'm called to do this. I'm not going to be on my deathbed asking the question, well, what if, why didn't I? But more importantly, one day my son, Luca, and our next son are going to look at me and they're going to tell me whatever their dreams are. And I don't want to have to look back at them and be like, yeah, you should go after it. Only to have them ask me the question, well, why didn't you? Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really great. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I'm... <laughs> I, uh, I feel the same way. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm still a musician. I'm still writing songs. I mean, I just came up with another song the other night. I woke up having a dream and I was like, Oh, I should write a song about this. That's great. And then I wrote out all the lyrics. I'm pretty old to be doing songwriting, but I'm not. And I know that I'm not, and I don't choose to look at life that way. Yeah. It's as you say, what is your biggest dream? Go after that with all you got. And then if you don't get it, at least you'll know you went after it. Yeah. And the, I, you know what? And you'll have that satisfaction. Yeah. And yeah. real estate was about building a business. Not that what I'm doing now isn't. And not that this is way more frustrating than real estate ever was. But I'm having so much fun. Yeah. And like, I feel like I finally arrived with what I'm supposed to do. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's you're good. never too old, dude. Keep writing, keep writing those songs. Keep melting people's faces off. I don't know what kind of music it is, but yeah. I'm assuming it might melt people's faces <laughs> off. Uh, I, I haven't seen anybody melt. You know, there's been none of that uh, fucking Raiders <laughs> of the Last Dog shit happening that I could tell in the audience. It was dark on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I did get a lot of really good feedback. So good, and it's been going been going great. So nice, I Glad shall continue. Time. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So, uh, is there anything else that you want to, that you feel like is burning that you want to get off your chest that you want to share with people? Oh man. Like I think I alluded to it earlier, but I think, I think it's people were after one thing and it's freedom and it's freedom in our marriage. It's freedom in our relationships. It's freedom in our business. It's freedom with ourselves. I think the only way to really get that is to figure out, well, what do I want? Am I willing to do the work? And in getting to it, am I willing to let it all go to go pursue the next thing? And there's this level of freedom yeah. that money will never buy, sex will never buy, marriage will never buy. And you can have it in this moment and you can also cultivate and design it in any way that you want. So, your life is just a series of the stories you tell yourself. And I'm a big believer that if you change your stories, you can change your life. Beautiful. That's great. That's great. I love that. Your life is just a series of stories that you tell yourself. And if you change the story, say the last part again, you change your story, you can change your life. Yeah. Beautiful. That's great. That's a fucking bumper sticker right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> big time. Trademark. Trademark. Yeah. 
Boom. T-shirts. It would be a good T-shirt, actually. Um, awesome. Well, listen, I, I asked this question of all my guests, uh, so I'm going to ask you as well, Sergio. For you, what is sacred and what is insane? What is sacred and what is insane? Oh. Sacred is the pursuit of becoming more than you are today. Growth and expansion. And insanity is playing by the rules that are imparted on you. Nice. That's a great answer. Well done. All right. Awesome. Well, Sergio, thanks so much for joining us on Lunacy. How can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? What's your, what's your handle? What's your handle, man? Yeah. Get on Instagram, Sergio.Nazaro. Okay, great. Awesome. And they can come after your coaching services that way. And there's kind of info on that sort of a deal. If people want to engage with you in that regard. Absolutely. There's a link in the bio to book a free discovery call and happy to do that with anybody. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. All right. You bet. Cheers. Now you can howl. I, he just woke up. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Ready? Let's do it again. Uh, This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. How? (laughs) That's good. That's good. Nice work. I can tell you're pulling back, but I still, I understand. Like, he's just waking up. He might freak out. He might freak out. (laughs) Awesome. All right, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in.